excited. Welcome this morning. Glad that you're here. Trust you got some rest last night and that you're all ready to hear from the Lord this morning. We want to ask the Lord's blessing on our time together as we open the scriptures and look for what God has for us. And Jordan Defoe, would you mind standing where you are and just asking the Lord's blessing on this time together? Amen. All right. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Jeremiah chapter 42. We've been talking about God's will. I should have made you guys who are doing the map puzzle identify where you are on the map. But that would have definitely weighted in an unfair advantage to those who are from this area. Although the more that I'm learning about you guys and maps, the more that I'm questioning that. So I'm feeling like many of you would be completely helpless without your phone GPS to tell you where to go and what to do. So I, I think that a way to destroy modern civilization would be just get rid of the satellites that work the GPS on your phone and no one would even be able to find their way home from work. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 42. I hope that you, you had some time... Even last evening, I know you were tired, I was tired, but I hope that you had some time as you went to your homes or wherever you were staying last evening just to reflect on the question that I posed to you. Where are you? Who are you? Specifically, what is your relationship to God? And what is your walk with God? Because this is a key issue in understanding the will of God. As I mentioned last night, it is quite impossible to find and follow God's will if you are not actively walking with God, if you don't have uh, what we like to call a real relationship with God, meaning you're more than just a professing Christian. I go to church, have a Bible, I'm a Christian. All right, do you have a relationship with God? Do you fellowship with him on a daily basis? Do you know what it is to walk with him? These are, these are important questions to grapple with, and it's really futile, and you're going to be completely helpless to find the will of God without that walk with God. But now another thing that comes into play when we think about the will of God, and it has everything to do with whether we will find and follow God's will, and that is, and it, it goes closely with what we talked about last night, and that is our attitude toward God's will. What is my default setting or my default attitude when someone says to me, you need to find God's will and do God's will for your life? So Jeremiah 42 is a very interesting story. I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to look at the text a little bit, and then we're going to go to some other passages as well. So you know the prophet Jeremiah was called by God to prophesy to the nation of Judah 
right before, during, and after the Babylonian captivity. So he was preaching to the people in Judah, telling them Babylon is going to come and God has given them permission. He's going to allow them to conquer the nation of Judah, to take the king away. You need to just submit to that because this is what God is going to do. Then afterwards, Jeremiah is preaching to the people about this is why this happened and this is what God is up to. Of course, in the book of Jeremiah, there's lots of messages of condemnation and a call to repentance, but there's also a pointing out of the promises of God and a future restoration. But right here in Jeremiah 42, and I've been reading the book of Jeremiah in my personal devotions, and I came across this passage the other day, and it is so fascinating. Because Babylon has now come in, and they've conquered the city of Jerusalem, and they have taken away the king, Zedekiah. And so everything, if you could just imagine, like what would it be like in your life if an invading army came in, the government was overthrown, can you imagine the chaos that would be taking place in our society, in our homes, in our businesses, in our towns? This is the scene in Jeremiah 42. So some people were carried away, especially, you know, the royal people, notable, powerful people were carried away, but there were some people that were left behind. And some of these people who were left behind, Jeremiah was among those who were left behind, came to the prophet Jeremiah and said to him, we want to know God's will. We want to know whether God wants us to stay here in the land because there's still a threat of more future invasions, or whether he wants us to go somewhere else where it might be safer, can you just tell us what God wants us to do? Whatever God says, we want to hear it. We want to know what God says for us to do. We, we are open to his will. This is what they said. So Jeremiah the prophet said, I will. I will go and ask the Lord, and I'll come back when I hear from the Lord, and I'll tell you what he says. So Jeremiah went to the Lord, and he sought the Lord's face, and he heard from the Lord. And the Lord told him, Jeremiah, they don't really want to know my will. But what I want them to do is to stay here. I don't want them to go down to Egypt for safety, and I want you to tell them that. But I want you to know, Jeremiah, that when you tell them that, they're going to refuse to do what you tell them I said to do, and they're going to go ahead and go down to Egypt. So Jeremiah came to them and he said, here's what the Lord said. And by the way, the Lord told me that you don't actually want to know his will and that he already knows that you've decided in your minds what you are going to do. And if you go ahead and do that, it's going to be destruction for you. And, of course, Jeremiah 43, the beginning of Jeremiah 43, they got mad at Jeremiah. They said, how dare you tell us these sorts of things? We're going to go down to Egypt. We don't care what you say or what God said. We're going to go do this because this is the best decision. And it ended up being destruction for them. All right, so look at Jeremiah 42. That's the story. 
Then all the captains of the, the forces, and Johanan, the son of Kariah, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least even unto the greatest came near, and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, Let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee, and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant, for we are left, but a few of many as thine eyes do behold us. Notice verse 3, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not even according to all things for the which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us, whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Doesn't that sound good? They're saying all the right words. We want to do the will of God. Whatever you tell us, we're going to do that. Jeremiah, we, you go and ask the Lord, and we know that he's going to give you an answer. And whatever the Lord says, that's what we're going to do. This is the right attitude towards the will of God. Except what they said and what was in their hearts wasn't the same thing. Now, we don't have time this morning to read the whole passage of, of what took place But if you go down to verse 19, we find Jeremiah delivering the message. The Lord hath said concerning you, O ye remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day, for ye dissembled in your hearts when ye sent me unto the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us unto the Lord our God, and according unto all that the Lord our God shall say, so declare unto us, and we will do it. And now I have this day declared it to you, but ye have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, nor anything for the which he hath sent me unto you. Now therefore know certainly that ye shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence in the place whither ye desire to go and to sojourn. Do you see that phrase, ye desire to go? Do you see the phrase in verse 19? Uh, except verse 20, for ye dissembled in your hearts. Now look at uh, chapter 43. It came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words, then spake Azariah the son of Hoshiah and Johanan the son of Kareah, and all the proud men saying unto Jeremiah, thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us, for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Lord to dwell in the land of Judah. But instead, they, they decided, we're going to go down into Egypt. And uh, actually, they took Jeremiah with them. And of all the ones who went down into Egypt, God delivered Jeremiah in that situation. That's the, the rest of the story. 
But I really want you to dwell for a few moments on this really interesting illustration because it tells us something about the danger in our hearts concerning God's will. And the danger is that you and I could, in our preparation for the journey, as we're thinking about what is God's will, where am I going, we must evaluate our heart's attitude towards the Lord. Remember what I said last night as we were concluding the second message. The right attitude is to say to the Lord, here am I, Lord. Lord, what do you want? Where do you want to send me? What what is it that you desire for my life? This is the way that we ought to approach God's will. Now, as you think about this, I you know, over the last few hours, I've learned a few things about you all in maps. But I wonder how you feel about road trips. Do you like road trips? How many of you say, I like road trips? A lot of fun. All right, so I'm just curious. That's almost everyone. What do you like about road trips? Just call it out. Seeing something new. (laughs) Driving fast. That could get you in trouble depending on what state you're in. All right. What else do you like? Enjoying the journey. What do you like about road trips? I mean, you all raised your hands. Do you just like the idea of going somewhere different? Being in the car for hours? I like seeing America and just the beautiful sights. Yeah, absolutely. These guys drove all the way from south of Miami to here. So they've seen a little bit of variety in the topography coming up to Pennsylvania. All right. What do you like about road trips? (laughs) I can totally believe that, Jason. I can totally believe that. I like driving and being in control. My wife always says, do you want me to drive? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. And, And she's like, aren't you tired? Yeah, but I can't sleep in the car anyway, so if I can't sleep, I might as well be driving. That's just me. All right? I enjoy road trips. But you know, if you think about this idea, your perspective of road trips. How many of you say, I don't like road trips at all? Any of you? Austin doesn't care much. Crystal doesn't. Why not? Why don't you like road trips? Okay. You just like to be there. Is that the same way, Crystal? All the sitting. All the sitting. So, interestingly enough, the older I get, the less I like road trips. When I was young, I used to love going on road trips, and now road trips make me grumpy, (laughs) uncomfortable. I, I find that road trips aren't nearly as fun as they used to be for me, because by the time I get to the destination, I'm stiff and I'm sore, and sometimes I even think it'd be nice if they had, like they have in Star Trek, those those uh, teleporter things, you know, where you go in and beam me up, Scotty, and it dissolves you, and then you reappear in another location, all put back together. I'm like, that would be cool. (laughs) Then I don't have to do the journey. Of course, you would miss a lot of the sights along the way. There's the experience of the road trip. Here's what I'm pointing out to you, though. Your attitude about a road trip ahead of time would determine a lot about what the road trip actually turned out to be. 
So if you were excited about the road trip and you had things planned out along the way that you were looking forward to seeing and doing, and it was so exciting to you, like my kids, we just went to the Creation Museum, which is down in Cincinnati a few weeks ago, and my kids were so pumped about this road trip. My little boys, they're like, yes, we can't wait to go. I'm like, do you know what you're asking for? All right, so I had a different attitude about the road trip than they did. They thought it's going to be super exciting. It's going to be wonderful. And I'm thinking, I've driven that road a lot of times, and I'm not really, I'd just like to be there. Your attitude towards the trip says a lot about how things will go along the way. God's will is like that. When you look at the map, or the perspective of what God's will is for you, there are some possible attitudes that you could have. You're whatever point you are in your life. Hopefully you identified that a little bit last night, who you are, where you're at. You're looking forward at the map. You're looking ahead at what God has in store for you. Hopefully your desire today is, I want to do God's will. I want to follow God's will. But truthfully, there's three possible attitudes that you could have towards God's will. The first one is you could be skeptical of God's will. And and honestly, this is probably the most prevalent attitude that I find even among Christians concerning God's will. It's this idea of, well, the will of God might be good, or it might not be good. I'm not quite sure... And so when a lot of, especially Christian young people say, I want to know God's will, what they mean is, I want God to tell me what he wants me to do, and then I'll decide if I really want to do that. It's not an attitude of, I trust him, I believe his way is best. It's more an attitude of, I really need for God to give me the five-year plan, Better if he'd give me the 50-year plan so I could see exactly how things are going to go. And then I could say, okay, Lord, I kind of like that plan. Let's go with that. But, of course, that's not usually how God works. God doesn't typically give us that kind of an outlook towards the future. And many people are skeptical. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, says that God's will is good acceptable, and perfect. We're going to turn to Romans 12 in just a few minutes, so if you want to go ahead and and turn there, we'll be there in just a few minutes. But what does that mean, that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect? That's quite a description, isn't it? That sounds like something that is far beyond what we could ever imagine. But my question for you this morning is this. Do you believe that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect? Do you really trust that God's way is the best way? Many people, when they think about God's will, aren't so sure that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. In fact, in my conversations with many, many Christian young people, I've found that the vast majority of them have in the back of their mind this idea, if I allow God to tell me what to do, he's probably going to mess my life up. He's probably going to make me marry somebody that I don't want to marry. He's probably going to make me become a missionary somewhere where I don't want to be a missionary. 
He's probably going to do something horrible in my life and he's going to make me miserable and I can't really trust God because he is going to mess everything up. Now, we would never say those words because we know that is blasphemous. We know that that's not acceptable even in Christian circles to say things like that, but we tend to harbor those thoughts in our heart. That somehow if I yield myself to God, he's going to harm me. He's going to do something that is not good. Now, you might ask the question, why is it that many people are skeptical of God's will? Well, I could think of a few reasons. First of all, people are skeptical of God's will because they don't know God very well at all. So they don't really trust his character. They've gotten ideas about God that are formed by imaginations or by things that they've heard from other people or misunderstandings of Bible stories. And they've got this idea that God is up in heaven as some kind of an ogre who is just waiting to smash you and destroy your life. And if you yield yourself to him, he's going to come in and mess it all up and then he's going to laugh at you. But that's not the God of the Bible. But many people have this idea, if I really allow God to be in control then things aren't going to turn out in a way that is going to be good because I don't really trust God. So, you know, I, I told you that I like to drive. And, and at times that goes beyond just I like to drive. I recognize fully that I don't trust many people when it comes to driving. Most of the time, I would prefer to drive my own vehicle, go at my own pace, and be in control of the decisions that need to be made. That's just me. All right? So when I think about that, I have to be careful when it comes to the will of God because am I willing to give the steering wheel over to the Lord and say, Lord, wherever you want to take me, whatever you want to do. See, most of the time, I'm not really up for somebody saying to me, Just get in the car and trust me and we'll go somewhere. Uh, Where are we going? How long are we going to be gone? What route are you taking? How are things going to be along? There's some things I want to know. Now, that's one thing when it comes to a road trip, but it's another thing when it comes to our attitude towards God and his will. The second reason that some people are skeptical of the will of God is because they've been given a lot of wrong information. And this wrong information is supplied to them by the enemy who likes to whisper lies in our ear and in our heart about the character of God and about what God is up to. And he causes us to be suspicious. Right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, didn't he say to Adam and Eve, Yea, hath God said, and then he said, God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall be as gods. You're going to be wise, knowing good from evil. God is withholding something from you. God is trying to keep something from you that you really want and that would be really great for your life. What did he do? He called into question the character of God. So a lot of people have misinformation about God and misinformation about his will. They've heard somebody give a testimony about the will of God and about how costly it was and about all the suffering that they went through and all that sort of thing, which oftentimes gets to be highlighted because as, I don't know, as people, we like to highlight how much we've, we've sacrificed for the Lord. But a lot of times the other side of it doesn't get talked about, about all the blessings 
about how wonderful it is to follow God's will. So you got a lot of people sitting out there thinking, man, the last thing I want to do is follow the will of God if it's going to involve that. If it's going to be that hard. The other reason that many people are skeptical is because they have a natural tendency to trust themselves, but no one else. It's pride that causes us to think this way. That causes us to believe that we know what is best. You know, it's the idea of getting in the car and feeling like, I'm the best driver, therefore I should be in charge of the steering wheel. I don't want someone else to be in charge because I know best how to steer this car. I know the route best. It'd be like walking onto a 747 to fly somewhere and going to the cockpit and saying to the pilots, get out of here, I'm flying today. What are you, what are you talking about? I don't trust you guys. I'll be in the cockpit. I'll be the one flying. Well, you have no idea what you're doing. You'd sit down in that seat and say, what are all these dials and gauges and levers? What does all this do? I have no idea how to even turn this thing on. You know, the truth is that your life and the choices that you need to make is much more complex than the controls of a 747. And yet, we are skeptical of trusting God with that. But we trust ourselves completely. We think, I really know what I want. I know where I should go. I know what I should do. I've got this figured out. No, you don't. So there's the skeptic. This is a problem. We don't want to be skeptical of God's will. The second possibility of an attitude towards God's will is the rebel. And the rebel is spoken of in, in many places in the scripture. This is a person who is completely opposed to doing God's will. The skeptic is just not sure... They could be convinced, but they're just not sure if they trust the Lord. But the rebel has already decided, ain't no way I'm doing God's will. The last thing that I'm interested in is doing God's will. Now, why does the rebel feel and think this way? Well, they think that they know what God's will will be, and they've already decided they don't like it. I don't, I'm not interested in it. I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to do things God's way. They're quite certain that if they put God in charge, he's going to ruin their life. The best solution for them is to run their own life. Now, the truth is that some people are actually rebellious to the will of God, even though they talk about wanting to know the will of God. That's actually what was happening in Jeremiah chapter 42. So they came to Jeremiah. They even said, Jeremiah, go pray for us. Come back to us and tell us what God's will is. We're open to it. We want to know what God's will is. But they didn't actually want to know because they had already made up in their minds, this is what I'm going to do. So, you know, it's really a good idea. I mentioned last night about counselors and how helpful counselors can be. But counselors will not be much good to you if you have already made up your mind. So it's not unusual for me as a pastor to have people come to me and ask me for advice about a decision that they need to make in their life. That's a fairly common occurrence. But I can always tell when someone has already made up their mind. Because when I start to probe and ask questions and point out some things, they get defensive. And at that point, then I say, not always to them verbally, but at least in my heart, oh, I see how it is. You've already made up your mind. And you know what? That's fine. 
If you've already made up your mind, you've made up your mind. But don't... See, you say, why do people come then and ask for counsel? Well, a lot of times because they're hoping that the counselor will agree with them and it'll be like a rubber stamp on their decision. That way, if anyone questions it, they can say, well, pastor said that it was okay. So the problem with that is that you're not really open to a different point of view or to some challenging. Now, you know, as a pastor, as a counselor, I don't think that it's God's will for me to tell everybody what they have to do with their life. That, that's, that's too much responsibility for me. But I do think that a lot of times I have a perspective that they should consider, some things that they should weigh out in the decisions that they're making. But when someone comes like these individuals did in Jeremiah 42, and they say, I want to know God's will, but they actually don't want to know God's will, that's a very dangerous thing. Because it's only a pretense. It's only, it's only make-believe, and it's like saying, I sure hope that when Jeremiah comes back, he's going to tell us the thing that we want to do. And then we can say, see, what we want to do is God's will. But see, the problem was they didn't start out by saying we really want to do God's will, even though they said they wanted to do God's will. So most of you have grown up in church, so you know the right things to say. And when someone questions you about decisions that you're making, you know that you're supposed to say, well, I've prayed about it. I'm seeking God's will. I've asked for counsel and, and I really, really want to do God's will. Be careful. Because sometimes even though you're saying those things, your heart inside is saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to make my own decisions. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. This is my life. I'm living my life. And that's an indication of rebellion. Now we know that rebellion is a very serious sin. Rebellion against God is very dangerous. Rebellion can lead you down a wrong path. And we'll talk about some of the consequences in a, in a little bit. All right, so you have the attitude of the person who's a skeptic, the attitude of the person who is just an out-and-out -out rebel. They don't want to do God's will no matter what. And usually, you know, there's different stages of the rebel. There's the person who will just say to your face, I couldn't care less about what God wants. I'm going to do what I want to do. Okay, well, we know where you're at. We know what's going on which is eventually where this crowd in, in Jeremiah 42, by the time we get to Jeremiah 43, this is clearly what they said. We, you're lying, Jeremiah. This isn't from God, what you said. This is Baruch who put you up to this. This is all a sham. You definitely didn't hear from God. We're going to do what we want to do, which is what they intended to do in the first place, and God told Jeremiah that. All right, so the third group of people, this is the one that we want to be, is the willing and wanting person. This is the person who says, I genuinely want to do God's will no matter what. No matter what the answer is, no matter what God says his will is, I want to do God's will because I want to please him. I, I, I know that God's will is best. Are you in Romans chapter 12? I told you a little while ago that we would get there. So turn to Romans 12 if you haven't already and look at verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And the scripture here says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect 
will of God. All right, so the word prove means to put it to the test. It means to, to validate it or to verify it. So you are able to prove that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. But before you can prove that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect, what do you have to do? Well, according to verse 1, you must present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. Now, this does not happen in this way, where God says, okay, so here's the plan. In three, four years, you're going to be getting married. Here's the person you're going to marry. Here's how many kids you're going to have. Here's the neighborhood you're going to live in and the house that you're going to have. Here's the career you're going to have. Here's how long you're going to live. Here's what's going to happen in your life all the way down to the end. This is, this is the whole plan. I've just laid it out for you. Do you like that? That's not how God works. God says, do you want to do my will or not? Now, your natural heart says, well, what is your will? What do you want me to do? And God says, I want you to present your body to me holy, acceptable unto God. I want you to make yourself a living sacrifice. I want you, in other words, to sign the blank check. Do you guys even use checks anymore? Like, what is a check? All right. To sign the blank check, to hand it over to the Lord and say, you fill in the amount. Anything up to and including all of me, you get it all. Everything is yours. So that's the attitude that we need to have towards the will of God. Not a questioning attitude, not a rebellious attitude. And of course, the, the, the way that we can have this kind of an attitude is by learning to know something about God. What is God's way? What is God's plan? What is God's will? Well, we understand that God has good purposes in our life. This doesn't mean that everything is going to be pleasant or that we're never going to go through trouble. By the way, you can't guarantee that for yourself either. If you're going to be in, in charge of your life, you can't guarantee that everything's going to turn out, that everything's going to be great, that everything's going to be wonderful. You only think that. God never promised that if you follow his will, there would be no difficulties. In fact, it's more realistic from the scriptures to say no matter which path you go, there's going to be some difficulties. There's going to be some, some troubles. But what is your attitude towards the will of God? Is it skeptical or rebellious? Or do you really have a, a heart and a desire that says, I want to know and do God's will. I really want to please the Lord. I, I really want for God to be in charge of my life. I'm really willing to surrender my life to him. Now, in order to get to this place where we can have this kind of an attitude, verse 2 of Romans 12, indicates that we need to have our mind transformed. We need to have our attitudes and our outlook on the world transformed. And the way that that happens is through the truth of God's word. So we need to take a lot of things out and replace them with the right information. We have a default way of looking at the world and at God and at ourselves that is in error. It has fault in it. And we need to remove those things, and then we need our mind to be transformed. 
We need our mind to be renewed so that our life will be renewed, so that our life will be transformed. And we'll come to the place where we realize, you know, I've been thinking completely wrong about God. I've been thinking completely wrong about his will. I've been completely wrong about God's purposes in my life. God is a good God. Do you know the Bible tells us in the book of James that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing that you have in your life comes from God. And and that's actually true even of the person who is rebellious against God because God is merciful and he's gracious and he allows rebels to experience good things in their life. No matter where you find yourself, if you have anything good in your life, it's because of the goodness of God. But we also know this, as a father, he is a good father. Jesus said, even even a bad father... If his children asked him for bread, would he give them a stone? If his children were hungry and asked for some fish, would he give them a snake to handle? Come on, human fathers don't do things like that. They love their kids enough that they want to give them things that they need, the things that they're going to eat. Isn't your heavenly father better than that? Do you really think that God is out there trying to ruin your life, trying to mess things up, trying to, trying to get you in a position where everything is, is a wreck and, and now your life is destroyed? That's not the God that we serve. So there are some possible attitudes, but then I want you to consider some probable outcomes. So what happens to people who have these attitudes? Well, let's consider the skeptic. The skeptical person, as we pointed out to you, is the person that is in doubt about the purposes of God. They they aren't so sure whether God's will is going to be good or not. So what what is needing to happen or what could happen to a skeptical person? Well, the truth is that a skeptical person has to decide quickly. You have to decide who you trust. Do you trust yourself or do you trust God? Do you trust the world or do you trust his word? And many skeptics are sitting in the place saying, well, I'm just not going to make a decision. But not making a decision is making a decision. You see what I'm saying? Even if you say, well, I'm I'm, I'm just not going to decide. Well, then you are deciding. Because you're clearly not going to follow God's will if you're not deciding. So that only leaves you with one option, which is to follow your flesh. And the way that you have have determined is the best way to follow. So the skeptic is in a place where they really have to decide. Doubting and avoiding God's will only leaves you with the option of moving quickly to rebellion. A skeptic doesn't stay a skeptic very long. They either become a rebel or they get right with God and submit themselves to him. You can't hang out in the skeptical place for very long without being forced to make a decision. Now, you could be here this morning and you are skeptical. You're saying, that, that's me. I'm just not sure if I trust God. I'm not, I'm not sure if I should trust him. So if you are skeptical, can I ask you this? Where are you finding the answers to your questions about God? All too often, the skeptic is looking to the world for the answers about God. They're not really looking with a genuine heart to God to reveal himself. They're making a choice 
for truth. You know, it's, it's one of those things, I, see if I can make this clear to you. You have a truth standard, every one of you. If it's not the Bible, you have something else that is your truth standard. And what I've observed is that you either have God's truth standard, which is the word of God and his declaration of what is true, what is right and wrong, or you are your own standard. It's one of the two. And in reality, if you are your own standard, you're being heavily influenced by the world and by the deceiver, Satan. And what does he do? Well, he's a liar. He's the father of lies, actually. And he has come to steal and kill and to destroy. So a skeptic is in a very dangerous position because they are easy prey for the deceiver who wants to sway them away from the truth of God and get them walking down a path, convincing them you're really doing the thing that you want to do. You're really in charge when, in fact, they're not in charge at all. They are actually taken captive by the will of Satan, at his will. They are taken captive by the deceit of the enemy. Listen, it's dangerous to be a skeptic. Because you're going you're gonna to come to a place where you've got to make a decision very soon. You need to be informing yourself about how you should be making that decision. If you find yourself being skeptical today, I urge you to go to the standard of truth, go to the word of God and find the answers before it is too late. Before you're put in a place where the decision makes itself and you're headed down a path that you don't want to be on. So the skeptical person, the probable outcome is that they're going to be forced to make a decision and all too often that decision is going to push them to rebellion. Which brings us to the rebellious person. What is the probable outcome of the rebellious person? Well, Proverbs 13, 15 says this, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in my office with someone who was getting ready to make a decision which was clearly against the word of God, and I've quoted this verse to them. And they've looked back at me and said, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, and I know that the way of transgressors is hard, but I think I'm going to be okay. And here's my answer every time. No, you won't. No, you won't. You think you're going to be okay? You think you've got this figured out? You very arrogantly think that you are going to somehow miss the consequences for sin? But this is, a, this is an ironclad declaration. The way of transgressors is hard. If you choose to rebel against God, to walk in your own way, to go astray from the truth, to follow your own path, if you are going to be a rebel... The Bible is filled with warnings to the rebellious and the scornful man. And I have never met a rebel who didn't think that it doesn't apply to me. I'll get away with it. I know it's happened to other people, and it probably will happen to lots of other people, but I'm smart. You see, I know the Bible. I grew up in church. I know all the warnings. I know the things to, to look for. I'll stop before it gets too bad or before I get too far down that path. And again, I can't tell you how many times people that I have warned about this. And this is, one of the, this is one of the painful things of being a pastor. Is that you warn people about things. And then they say, what does he know? Old guy. He doesn't have any idea what's going on in the real world. Okay. 
you know what? I can't decide for you. And then what do I do? I sit and I watch as God's word is proven to be true again and again and again. And then, because God is merciful, sometimes we're able to come along later down the road after that person comes to themselves like the prodigal son, and we're able to say, yeah, okay, come on, there's forgiveness, there's, there's restoration, there's, there's, there's praise God for that, praise God for his goodness, for his mercy, but then there's also a heaviness with that that didn't have to be there. Didn't have to go down that path. Didn't have to suffer those consequences. But because in our heart we are rebellious, many times we are determined, I am going to do my own will. I'm going to prove God wrong. Which just in case you're curious, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. There is, no, there is no possibility of you ever proving God wrong. God will always be right, and wherever you are opposed to God, you will always be wrong. The skeptic, the rebel, and then the willing person, the one who is wanting to do God's will. What is the probable outcome? Well, we read Psalm 1 last night, and that's a, a beautiful picture of what God describes happening in the person who delights to walk in God's will. The the picture there in Psalm 1 paints a, a picture or a metaphor of this man being like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. That means when when drought comes, when the weather changes, when things get difficult, this tree has a source of water. He's bringing forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God says, listen, if you'll do my will, if you'll walk in my path, then I'm not guaranteeing you that everything's going to be easy. I'm not saying that the circumstances of your life are always going to be pleasant or or easy to deal with, but I'm going to tell you this. You will bring forth fruit. You will experience the blessing of God. You will know what it is to walk with God even through those times of trouble. You will have a real sense of meaning for your life. Your life will actually matter for eternity. Doing God's will is worth it. Now, I'm not perfect. I've made my share of mistakes. But I do know this. A long time ago... A long time ago, I determined that I wanted to do God's will. I determined that whatever God said he wanted me to do, I was going to be willing to do that. I wanted to surrender myself to that. Now, through the years, obviously, there's times when I've grappled with that. Lord, is that really what you want? Is that really where you're taking me? Is that really your plan? But now, as I'm a little farther down the road than most of you, I can say, looking back on my life, with all honesty, I have not one regret for following the will of God. Yeah, there's been some trials. It's not always been easy, but I can say from this perspective, God has been so good to me. In fact, sometimes I look at my life and I think, why is God so good to me? Why does God bless me in the way that he does? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve for God to to be so kind and merciful and gracious to me. But, I mean, this is the nature of our God, right? There were times when I would grapple with, if I surrender this to the Lord, then he's 
He's going to make me do something that I don't want to do. It's incredible how, as I, right now in my life, I can say honestly, I'm so happy doing exactly what God wants me to do. I know that I'm in the center of God's will. I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. And I'm very, very grateful for God's blessing in my life. You can develop this kind of an attitude towards the word of God and the will of God if you will submit yourself to him and you will be willing to do his work. I said this last night. I want to reiterate it again today. God is not trying to hide his will from you. God's will is not intended to be a mystery. God wants you to know his will. Now, again, he may not tell you everything that's down the road or in the future. Like, you know, from this vantage point, I can look back and see what God has done, but I don't have any idea what's in the future. I don't know exactly where God is taking me or or what God is going to do with me, other than I know that I'm a child of God and one day I'm going to be with him. But there's a lot of waypoints in between that I'm a little unclear on. So I still have to reckon with my flesh and my skepticism, and I still have to say, Lord, whatever it is, I trust you. I believe that you're good. I know that you're going to do something good in my life. In other words, for you and I to have the right attitude concerning the will of God, what we ought to be saying is, like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, he heard the voice of the Lord, whom shall I send? And he said, here am I. Here am I, Lord. I, I may not be worthy. I, I'm, I, I can't imagine how you would use me, but Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want, I, I'm willing to do it. Here am I. Send me. That ought to be our desire, that God would use us in this way. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, and then we'll be done. Colossians chapter 1. You all have been patient this morning. Verses 9 and 10. This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul. For the believers at the church at Colossae, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, there's a lot in that verse. I could preach a whole other message on these two verses, but I just want to point out this simple thought. He was praying for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they might walk worthy of the Lord. God's will is not something that we know academically. God's will is something that we experience as we submit to him in our life. He fills us with the knowledge of his will so that we might obey him, so that we might walk in his way. The problem for the skeptic is they don't really want to know God's will because they're afraid that God will tell them to do something they don't want to do. So the person who's always complaining about, I just can't figure out God's will, almost always that is because they have a default attitude of skepticism towards God's will. They don't actually want to know God's will because they're afraid that God will tell them something they don't want to hear. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that if you're struggling to know God's will that you have a skeptical attitude But I am warning you that that can creep in very easily and it can become a barrier to finding God's will for your life. In our last message here in a little while, we're going to talk about 
how do we deal with where we are? With the disappointments. With, okay, this is hard where God has me right now. Some of you are in a hard place. Some of your family members are in a hard place. So how do we deal with those disappointments and those discouragements when the will of God isn't turning out like we thought it would? We imagined what it would be like, and it seems like it's kind of hard. So how do we deal with that? We're going to talk about that, and and hopefully it'll be a help to you.